Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. What is good, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Exhaust Notes Podcast. My name is Nick Ingvall. I got my guys, Rowett and Todd, to talk about this weekend's race. Emila, a little bit of rain, our first sprint race of the season. Uh, there's a lot going on, to be honest. A lot to talk about. So how you guys doing? I'm doing great. I thought it was a very exciting race and I don't know if anybody, I don't know how anybody could find that boring to be perfectly honest. And it's not like we have a podcast to discuss such things, but Todd, how about you? Changeable conditions are the best conditions. Yeah. Like Bruce Lee said, be water. And in this case, the water was all over the track and it also made me thirsty, but unlike pretzels, competition is one of those things that will forever keep you parched. <laughs> Oh man, you know, coming out strong. Is, that's a that's yeah, a great start. To. A great start. Um, yeah. So so I uh, I may or may not be the person alluded to that felt the race was a little underwhelming, but you know, it was a good race. It was a good. Got, we 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 got to kind of live stream chat with everybody in the in the Discord link in the description, but um. Let's just before we did this last time, but like, let's just run through the actual positions, the finish of the race. So uh, Max finished first with Red Bull, Sergio Perez with Red Bull in second, Lando Norris with McLaren in third, George Russell with Mercedes, Valtteri Botas, Alfa Romeo in fifth, Charles Leclerc with Ferrari in sixth, Yuki Sonoda with Alfa Tori in seventh, Sebastian Vettel in eighth, Kevin Magnussen in ninth, with Haas, Lance Stroll with Aston Martin in 10th, Alex Albon with Williams in 11th, Pierre Gasly with Alfatori in 12th, Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes in 13th, Esteban Ocon of Alpine in 14th, Joe Guan Yu, Alfa Romeo in 15th, Nicholas Latifi finished the race in 16th, Mick Schumacher of Haas in 17th, Daniel Ricciardo the last to finish Alonzo, Fernando Alonzo and Carlos Sainz wrecked out, did not finish. Uh, it's it's Maldia <laughs> for our homies from España. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, bueno. it was, it was, it was interesting, right? I mean, the thing that stands out to me outside of the top, you know, few one to row its point and my prediction Mark one podium off the list for Lando. But really, it was like, what the hell? Both the Aston Martin cars scored points? Listen, my one prediction of three teams not scoring a point at all this season finally came to an end today. When Now, all, literally every team has scored. And you know what? It's better for the 33 million fans that are watching this new sport that we all slowly love. But at the same time, your boy's got the most yokey white egg on his face, but nevertheless, still I persist. Todd, what, what was your initial reaction to this race? I know we kind of touched on it a little bit. Uh, I, I, I thought it was good. Like, you know, in the pre-show, Nick and I were talking and he was just like, uh, kind of a, kind of a dull race. And I was just like, Whoa, what? Like we had, Immediate carnage, two corners in, safety car, and then an intense midfield battle, at least from what I saw, um, for the majority of the race. And and then towards the end of the race, we had, you know, the, the front 
front runners kind of kind of mixed up and and Claire taking that early pit and then charging back and then spinning. Um, I think it was action up and down the field today. And there's two things that I want to call out because they're both. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Lewis Hamilton in 13th in a Mercedes and both, not one, but two of the JCB 22s, Aston cars in the points, which is like what what happens to that that team when it's raining is like astounding. Every time it's like you remember it was a year or two ago now when Stroll got a podium in I think it was Turkey. And he drove like he got a P3 in in the wet yep. there. And every it seems like this guy, it's kind of just a, like aloof, you know, Canadian uh, uh, guy. No, go ahead. <laughs> now I was just gonna say I've got the analogy for it because you know it's something that was followed in our fantasy this year where we had one monster driver in the very first week. So I think how Stroll has set up is he's got one monster drive in him a year and. Even if it's not that monster drive, as we witnessed this week, it's got remnants of a monster drive. And I agree with you. Aston Martin is essentially a grower, not a shower. It's just unlike George Costanza, you have to add water. <laughs> it really is. It's like a one of those little bathroom, bathtub toys. You just leave in water and it grows like 10 times its size. Uh, but not only have one, but two cars in the points. And it didn't even feel like fortuitous where they got lucky because of you know, pit stops and then a safety car. Like they really fought like that. Like I was looking at the lap chart earlier and Seb was one of the earlier pits. uh, One of the first, first to pit on the first pit stop and lost, I think like seven positions and then fought back to gain eight more or fight his way back up on the pits. So man, like it, Good strategy, good race. Maybe that maybe they all need to be wet races, and all of a sudden Aston's like a competitive car for the midfields. But good for them. Good good bounce back after the horrible horrible weekend in Australia, and then Lewis. Uh, Nick, you were talking about this also in the pre-show, but he declared himself out of the championship, and it really feels like he's just like he's still racing, obviously, but he feels like he's racing defeated already. Which my my point in that too is we're four races into the season and there's 19 to go. If you think you're out of it four races into a 23 race season, don't get me wrong. The car seems to be a pain in the ass to him, but George Russell magically just continues to be in the top five or top 10 almost every race. Right. And has a very similar car. I don't think... Yeah, but see, this, this is the popular meme that's going around. The reason why George Russell is doing this is it's an inherently shitty car. And George Russell, if nothing else, does drives shitty cars well. So that's the argument that you may be facing, Nick, when you make that point. Could, could be true. I mean, I think we've talked about it. But, like, George, George has gotten really lucky with crashes, timing, all sorts of things that, like, we wouldn't have expected him to come out as high up as he has. And also like Lewis saying this, like you, you can't possibly consider yourself out of the championship when Max Verstappen has had what two DNFs 
out of four, five races. So it's not like it's not like these crazy things can't happen to people. Granted, the car might feel like it's not there, but there's been plenty of times when when cars and drivers didn't mix and somehow they find a way to end up, you know, leveling up throughout the season. And if anybody, I mean, I just don't see Mercedes rolling over and, you know, giving up like that, the way he makes it sound. That's all I was saying, I think. So let me ask you this, because I do love a good over under, as some of our listeners know, over under three and a half in terms of Mercedes final standing in this particular season. And maybe that's a bit too generous. Maybe I'll go four and a half to really elicit some sort of controversy. You mean in the constructors championship? Yeah, in the constructors. Thank you. Over. I'll bet everything I have on it. I'm not that confident, but I love the confidence. No, no, no. They'll get over. You said four and a half, right? Yeah. So they're going to get fifth at, or over. Oh, guaranteed. wow. I like that. Okay. How about a adult or a child beverage since I don't partake in those libations? <laughs> um, so I'll say Mercedes will still get. You want to give me top four or do you want me to give me top three, Todd? Uh, you can have four down and I'll take five, five up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's make it, let's make it interesting. One of the many things that I am in life is a degenerate gambler. It's just, I have to pick my spots because you know, I'm now with child. So thank you for allowing me to indulge and scratch that itch, Todd. Cheers. So I think they're going to be fourth. Like, I think it's a, it's a hard fourth for Mercedes this year. Okay. No, I think they're not going to, that car is so far behind right now bouncing down the straight and shout out to Hassan on the pod uh, in the discord it's something i hadn't even thought of like he was like he made a comment about the drivers suffering from cte at the end of the season which is funny but also like they're going 200 miles an hour bouncing up and down in rapid succession yeah for two hours like that can't be good for you no it cannot so like that car is so far and away from being even slightly competitive. And I know the, the there are slower cars like the Aston is slower. The, the Williams is slower. Um, and probably the alpha Tori or what, I don't even know what the hell. I mean, you had mentioned, no, I think, mm-hmm. I think Alpine has, has more pace in it. As we've seen, they've had a couple of good races and we're only four in right so far, like in, in, in Jetta. Alonzo was on fire. Uh, actually, both of them were. They were fight, fighting each other. Um, but I, I don't think uh, that there's – I know that they had fortuitous happenings in the first couple races, which is why George was in P2 in the champion – in the driver's championship and Mercedes was up there in the constructors. But they're just going to – no matter how – I don't think that there's a magic button to unlock their car. And maybe I'm wrong. Like they have eight constructors in a row. Uh, I'd be happy to be wrong because I'd like to see him be up in the fight again. But right. I don't think I don't know. Like having seeing this weekend, Toto have an outburst towards Lewis, like the the, the statistical goat is pretty crazy. Like Mom he kind of yelled at him. 
no, mom and dad are fighting. And in spite of everything, Mercedes is currently in third in the constructors at 77 points. The team right behind them is a certain papaya colored team that two thirds of this podcast support with all their hearts. And they're at 46. So they're only 31 points behind. It's going to be interesting because I do think much like the dawn of a new day is an orange sun. Man, those suns from orange. I mean, except for Danny Rick, who may be one of those five drivers that may be leaving this year. But talk to you. You boys talk about Lando because he truly is the future. Like this is a finally the coronation moment that we've been expecting from him for a while now. Is this the first podium, right? Or first podium of the season? First of the season, yeah. So so before we, we do that, I want to point out that I, I I agree with Todd with like the the potential like health issues for for the porpoising that we see right if you don't know what porpoising is you can go back i think it's episode 10 we talk about it in depth but seeing all these cars like todd's talking about seeing you know the mercedes down the straights but i just watched some clips earlier today like watching recaps and stuff and charlotte claire's ferrari was doing the exact same thing and he's won what three races this year already? Um, I think I think this is like something that all the teams are dealing with. It's it's just still one of those things where like that's also why I think that you can't just say that the season is over at this point because as much as like we see Ferrari winning or or Red Bull winning, all it takes is one tweak the wrong way to try to fix that whether it's porpoising or whatever issues they're trying to fix to, to send them to the midfield in a single weekend. Right. And I think that's the thing that is like kind of really interesting about how this season is going to play out. Cause to, to the, the conversation around Lando being third, you know, like I don't think any of us, well, I mean, I, I predicted it, but I don't think any of us would have without being a fan predicted Lando being on the podium at this point especially after watching the first couple of races for McLaren. The cars were way off the pace. The drivers were, you know, talking about how many problems they were having, how hard the cars were, all of those things. They were, I don't know that they were having the porpoising issues, but, you know, just new car issues straight out of the gate, probably worse than any other team. But then that said, you still have, you know, Valtteri Botas finishing fifth in the Alpha, and we wouldn't have expected, expected or predicted the alphas to be in the top 10 or, you know, maybe we would have maybe given Valtteri like an eight or a seven prediction or something. Right. I don't think we would have, any of us would have said anything higher than that. You're spot on. I think I would have said like seven or eight for Bottas or Terry, Terry Bottas uh, as Rohit lovingly. No, I mean, I will say Spencer Hall from every day should be Saturday. Probably one of the finest writers of sports in America today has coined the term Terry Bottas, but it's just fun to say. I, I dare you it's to amazing. say Terry. It, yeah. Say Terry Bottas. And if a smile doesn't come on your face, you have no soul. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think uh, it's, speaking of, of Nick's pre-race prediction, what was your podium? Cause you said Lando P3. I don't want to talk about but the other did two. Did you get the, no, no, talk about it. <laughs> I, I said, uh, I, I said, Leclerc and, and Signs. Le- I had Signs oh, winning the race. Yeah, so yeah I said. Nick. I also had Leclerc. I think it was Leclerc Signs Max is what I said. So we're all wrong. Yeah. Uh, we jinx. We jinx the red boys in red. But we are happy to see Yuki um, at seven. 
Now, you, I, here's the thing. I've probably been Yuki's biggest critic on this podcast, but as somebody pointed out to me, he is 11th currently in the driver's standings, and that's with one DNS. Didn't start. So he could easily be a top 10 driver. So all that talk I had about Alex Albon snatching his seat this year may be premature on your boy's part because it's only been four races. However, it's an interesting subplot to win, uh, to watch because I do think Yuki has to have a podium moment to ensure some sort of consistency and stability because as somebody else also pointed out, it's really funny because Yuki's end game is always celebrating or apologizing. And I think a lot of us are like that in facets of our life, but hopefully not in your work. So no, in my work too. <laughs> okay. Fair. General, generally that's how I roll. Okay. Um, mostly apologizing. I did want to, since we're talking papaya, Nick just was talking papaya. Uh, Lando, amazing race. Like, he obviously was running out of tires at the end and couldn't hold off um, Leclerc. But then Leclerc got a little overzealous on the curbs and the chicane and decided to rally car that shit over there. Um, But I do want to, like, McLaren actually looked pretty good this weekend, all things considered like a step back towards the right way, even though they've had a couple of rough patches and even Danny Rick looked on the pace, which he's been for the better part of a year, not close enough to his teammate in pace wise, but they had, they both had amazing starts. Lando jumped up two spots. I think Danny, Danny Rick jumped up three cause he was right behind him. Got a little squirrely on the second corner, hit the, hit the uh, slippery part of the track limits. There's that word again. Um, and kind of slid himself into science. And, you know, he said he got hit, which I thought was kind of a crappy thing to do. Cause like you didn't get hit. You didn't get hit until you'd already hit signs. And then Botas somehow kept his front wing after ramming the more than half of it up the back of Danny Rick's car, which was pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to mention my boy real quick because I think he would have had a good race if he didn't, you know, little mistake cost you big time. Yeah, it, it was. It was interesting to see. I mean, I hate seeing the first turn be the chaos because it. I mean, I get that that's that's it's naturally the place where it's going to happen the most because there's 20 cars trying to go into a corner within three seconds of each other. But I feel like that's what kind of throws me off with, with, with today's race or races that are similar, right? And I know you said there was a lot of uh, passing in the midfield, but I really feel like for a solid like 20 laps, it was like a nine or 10 car. Like it was like just a train of like it, literally like the Quad City DJs in the middle of the field for a solid like 20 laps where it was like, okay, nobody's passing. Also, we haven't mentioned it, but we should talk about where the hell was the DRS stuff? Like it was like gone. It was like, okay, well, it's wet, but then it was dry and then nobody could use DRS. And like my 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 stepmom asked me about DRS because of it, because there was so much conversation around it during the race. She was watching this morning and just was like, so so that's where my my mind went to thinking about the race. The, the restart. I mean, at the, it's one of those terms. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, that's where my mind went to. The restart, kind of like resetting things. It's always a bummer to me. And then that like middle section of the race, combined with the fact that you have essentially max, you know, there was a little kind of potential there for when 
you know, before Checo pitted. But like Max and Checo are basically kind of running away with the race other than I, I know Leclerc was there close, but it didn't feel like he had it had it under control the same way it did in previous races this season, I guess. The thing I was initially going to say is two words that you hear a lot in this podcast is processional and the DRS train. We got a train to Nick's point. There was not that much DRS. In fact, I would say the most notable moment that came out of this race from a DRS perspective was Terry Bodas not getting past George Russell time and time again, because every time we would see them coming into the start of the new lap, they're like, oh, he's in DRS. We're going to get him. We're going to get him. They didn't get him. I will also say this from the perspective of the interesting parts of this race. I didn't even think it was that good of a race from a Max perspective. Like he didn't have his usual moments of aggression. It was a very professional, very casual win, if that's even bold enough to say. But I will say this. I think how this race gets viewed in terms of its interest towards the narrative of the entire season is, is this the start of the Red Bull takeover? Like, hey, we gave Ferrari a three race head start and now it's our time because that's how I'm ultimately going to watch it because that was kind of the overriding message I got as I was reading the post-race stuff from all these different sources that I think all of us are kind of partaking. The other thing I want to call out is, yeah, and we mentioned it a little bit earlier, Terry Bodas is probably the biggest surprise of the year. And it's crazy to me that he is consistently getting points at a team that for so many years has been an afterthought. And if the best thing you could say about Sauber slash Alfa Romeo is they're a breeding ground or they're a training ground for Ferrari's future drivers. And it's also a retirement home for Ferrari drivers. But Terry's not about that life. Terry's like, listen, I still got something in me. Uh, And, you know, Finest button all of uh, Formula One, so keep on keeping on, Terry. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's really got that cake, <laughs> dude. Terry, Boat Wait, I'm gonna jump back before we get back too far. I want to talk about DRS real quick. Go for it. So it's up to just clarification on that. If it's wet, uh, it's automatically off. Yep. Like the race director says, nope, no DRS because of safety, right? Um. They don't want like cars closing on other cars that fast when it's wet because you don't have as, as much grip, much brakes, whatever. Yep. Um, once it starts to dry out and it's changeable conditions, which this race was, they can't turn. It's up to the race director to turn it back on. And he has to see that there is basically a solid dry line for the most, you know, like the, the whole track plus. Right, it has to be more than just like the one racing line is dried off. Yep. It has to be a mostly dry track for him to turn it on. And I know they were like expecting it to come on, expecting it to come on, but it is ultimately up to the race director, which I didn't really mind that he wasn't turning it back on yet because they kept talking about um, the rain that was supposed to be incoming. They said like, oh, you know, rain in 10 minutes. They kept saying rain in 10 minutes and it never really never really came came to pass but back to the swedish keister uh terry bodas um or wait no he's you know he's finnish isn't he he's finished Whatever. by yeah. the way after everybody else sees that but we're all finished <laughs> <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> um yeah i mean like it's i completely agree with you bro like talk about the surprise of the season not only did Valtteri, like, take that team and, like, you know, 
try to take it on the chin like oh i'm i didn't get kicked off mercedes i'm going to like do my own challenge and try to build this team up which if that was his real intent good for him uh and it's got to feel good when he's passing mercedes on the track like i remember you remember toto like this this was me last year yeah um but he that that car didn't look good in preseason. Even in the first race, didn't look. I mean, I guess it actually did look good in the first race, or better than we thought. But it's like a solid top midfield contender. If they're if they're on, like it's unfortunate that Joe Guan Yu is not. He's got the like definitely like rookie timidness about him, and he's really gets swallowed at the starts. Um, but like, yeah, Valtteri is like proving to everyone, like, yeah, I was a really solid driver for Mercedes and I just was going up against the best and that's never easy. And he even said that in a postseason or preseason interview. Um, but good for him. Like he's, I really think he could uh, continue this streak as long as that car stays together. Yeah. yeah but it's, they're having the season that uh, Alpha Tauri was having last year where you've got the one proven commodity and then you've got a promising rookie, except for the fact to your point, Todd, he's not a promising rookie. It's just Terry's doing all the heavy lifting. Yeah. So I want to go back to the Lewis conversation around being out of everything, right? Not competing for a championship is what he said. Max scored 25 points for a win this weekend, one point for the fastest lap and eight points for the winning of the sprint race. That's, Correct me if I'm wrong. 34 points, right? That is that is six more points than Lewis has for the whole season so far. That's one less than Lando has for the whole season so far in one race. And like that's more than double his point total from the previous races for Max. And he's still 30 points, 27 points behind Leclerc. The fact that these sprint races are divvied up differently the fact that you can score you know 26 points if you grab the fastest lap as well like i i understand the concept of like mercedes cars might suck really bad right now and i understand the concept of lewis not feeling it and him and toto getting into it but like i'm i'm sorry maybe it's just because i'm in america and we have a lot of people that don't understand you know science and math but like math says there's no reason to worry about this yet and say that you're completely out of it when if you had literally the race that you that that max or stappen had this weekend you'd be third in the driver's standings if he's if lewis had that same race just just pointing it out (laughs) well you're one of the few americans that understand math obviously um (laughs) see <laughs> yeah. That's a hilarious comparison. How, how can he, he's the best driver in this era, at very least one of the best of all time. The team obviously knows what they're doing. They won eight in a row. But they're so far behind. Like the other teams, I could see, like, I see what you're saying, but like, they're so far behind. None of the other teams are going to stop developing. So not only do they have to catch up to the teams, but they have to outdevelop them. And they're in the busiest season in Formula One history for the first time in a cost cap era. And 
they're that much like they're probably the third slowest car on the grid so but, you're but talking George about russell is right there to, that's what i'm saying like i i understand where, what you're the, saying like with the exception of this race which i think he it kind of kind of got on merit like he had granted it was wet so that changeable conditions thing whatever i think he actually had a good drive today um but the other races he kind of like lucked into the podium lewis lucked into the first podium that kind of thing um it, it, there's it, there's no chance that I'm <laughs> surefire bet that I, they're going to be fifth or above in the championship. We, we've already fifth had or that below. Call. Yeah, I, I I know. I'm just I'm playing Nick, devil's advocate. Me. Some, but Nick, join me. Let him buy two kids' beverages. <laughs> uh, yeah, burritos for everybody. If I'm wrong. All right, all right. Fair enough. No, I, I, but it, but you said it, Todd. Like the thing that I think about with Lewis is like all you 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 give him a car that is. 80% of the top five cars on the grid, and he's capable of taking it the rest of the way, in my opinion. So then 1%, do you give this car like a solid like 42? See, that was a joke for the Americans that don't understand math or science. <laughs> I, I, I understand, like, I, I totally understand that, like, things are pretty messed up mercedes right now but like i don't know maybe it's just me being optimistic and maybe i should just go back to michael schumacher driving for mercedes for a couple seasons like you can't just make it work just because you're the greatest or one of the greatest drivers of all time but i just can't not think that like it's just good old toto and lewis sandbagging the hell out of the entire season right now i think that i think the car's a mess but I think they are over-exaggerating like how far off they are. It's what the cons call the long game, but I don't know if they're that smart to play it. I will say this. As we were watching the race today, we were joking that Lewis almost had like a force field around him because he was stuck in 14th place for the longest time. The drivers from 1 to 13 were constantly changing and then the drivers 15 down were also changing, but Lewis was just kind of running his own race, living his best life. And yeah, he ended up, I think in 12th because I think I stopped watching because it's like, Oh, he's stuck in 14th place. And I thought that was probably as good of a metaphor because he just seems like he's coated in molasses right now. And you're asking him to run a hundred yard dash. He was definitely a slippery deaf guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what other things notably happened? We, we got to talk more about Yuki. I just feel like yeah, he deserves it this this way. Wax poetic, please. I, I've, I think he is losing his seat at the end of the year. I'm already convinced. Already? Yes. Man, this, not only are the Make race car Nick. drivers and window. teams ruthless, <laughs> the fans are ruthless in this sport. No, I. Oh, I mean the. F1 Twitter is the most toxic place on earth. Oh, absolutely. Any so, Twitter. Absolutely. Any Twitter. No, I'm convinced that F1 Twitter is the most toxic thing on earth. <laughs> yeah, F- F1 Twitter is dangerous. N- NBA Twitter is pretty rough sometimes too, but uh, I, d- I just thought Yuki I, – I, I do think that like the odds are stacked against Yuki to, to have that seat at the end of the season. And I think that the – you know, maybe maybe my optimism is, you know, kind of mis 
misguided because these teams are going to make the decision for next season, 10 races into the year, maybe 15, right? Like, it's not like, like if you don't have a seat by race 21 this year, you don't have a seat next year. Like nobody's going to surprisingly drop out, disappear. You know, I mean, unless some miracle thing, ha- like I don't even want to call it a miracle, unless some unprecedented wild thing happens and the FIA is like, you know what, Porsche and Audi want to be here and, you know, the Andretti's want to run a team. Let's just go shit, bat shit crazy with it and we'll have 25 next year or 26 drivers next year. But I just don't see that happening. But I, I do think Yuki, I think Yuki, you know, the thing that Yuki has it's hard to say this because most most uh i know formula one purist like todd won't admit to this but the personality that yuki has is so marketable and teams don't want to lose they don't want to be in the midfield they don't want to be at the bottom of the grid and you know obviously max verstappen is you know the, the you know presents himself with the least amount of personality in the history of formula one but like, I I see Yuki as like a driver that could make a huge impact on the sport because of his personality, even as somebody who's gonna finish five, six, seven on the grid on a regular basis. Now maybe he doesn't fit for Red Bull, but I also think like deep down Red Bull is still the company that pays people to jump out of airplanes and ride bikes through fiery hula hoops and all that stuff because that's all they do. Right. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm really just being optimistic here, I guess. I guess, let me ask you this. What do you think realistically is Alpha Tori's goal at the start of every year? That's a great question. I really don't have the answer to it because remember Alpha Tori is a fashion brand. Yes. So if they really want to sell some, fashionable things like they should probably talk to me about sneakers and I can connect them to some people in the industry. But and not only sneakers, but hats as well. Listen to crown and stitch episodes. <laughs> every Wednesday. Yes. Thank you. No, but I, I asked that because in my mind, they can't be the first place team because they're inherently right. the sister team. If they're lucky, I think they're fifth. And that tells me that Yuki has to be the 10th or 11th best driver on principle. Would that be fair to say from both of you? Yeah, going up against Pierre Ga- Pierre Gasly. Yeah, he's not as good as Pierre. No, and he, nobody's expecting him to. If put it this way, if he was better than Pierre Gasly, Pierre Gasly is not going to be in Formula One anymore because of how Pierre Gasly has seemingly fallen from the grace of the Red Bull Academy. That being yeah. said, you have a person that we love Yuki's personality. It's probably what makes him more appreciative. Or makes us really appreciate him because he is a little bit of overcaffeinated 14-year-old boy. But Formula One is still a business. And one thing I will say about the gentleman that we've essentially earmarked to replace Yuki this year, Alex Albon, that dude is boring in the most professional way. And that's catnip for the likes of Helmut Marco, Christian Horner. Like they know, ironically, sorry, this is the phrase I'm going to use, how to stay in their own lane. Alex Albon has no intention of ever usurping Max Verstappen or even Sergio Perez to some extent. I think Gasly has that innate nastiness, which I think I really respect about him, where he's going to give it a go, even if the race uh, control from AlphaTauri tells him not to. 
Yuki might crash the whole damn grid just because he's <laughs> going to try something ambitious. And that's what we love about him. But ultimately, I think that's what's going to cause him not to finish races or in some cases not to start. And I think that's where that volatility is probably going to be his Achilles heel is what I would say. Despite yeah, I, Go ahead, Todd. No, no, no. Finish your thought. Yeah, I was going to say, despite the fact that what we've all essentially agreed upon is he has to be around that 10th, 11th best racer on the grid. Which I think he totally could be. Easily. And I think, I think Nick has a great point from his marketing perspective. Like, like and bro, you said it like the over-caffeinated 14-year-old. Um, As a fellow over-caffeinated 13-year-old. Yes. Like... That totally makes sense, but, and it's a giant but. Shout out, Terry. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, there's no 12th man. There's no enforcer. There's no, like, Level blind man. But yep. doesn't that mean in, that Gasly in, loses his spot? Because Yuki's four points ahead of him in standing. Absolutely. Because of DNFs. Because of DNFs, right? Like, in any, like, equal machinery, Pierre get Pierre beats Yuki 99 out of 100 Nick, times. do you want to make a bet with me on who will finish higher, <laughs> Pierre Gasly or Yuki? Because I would parlay that into a six-pack of child beverages. It's going to be a six-pack of Red Bull. A four-pack, <laughs> okay, That's what it should be. Actually, thank you. Product placement. Anyway. I mean, I, I genuinely Nick, think that that's, a, that's a, like a coin flip at the end of the season. Okay. I, I don't think that... Like, I think Gasly is amazing. Like, I would have considered myself a Gasly fan, you know, over most of the guys on the grid for the past few seasons, even, especially when he was with Red Bull. But I, I just, I don't know. Like Yuki seems to be improving in, in, you know, in ways that like, uh, I don't think that it's his skills that are, that are going to be the problem by the end of the season. I think that it's going to just be like, it's Red Bull and you don't have anywhere to go up. So why would you stay with the team? Well, I did think of something just now. I, two points here. One, Yuki's racecraft, to me, I'm talking about it like I'm a professional driver, which I am not. But at the very end of the race, when he was fighting one of the Astons, who was, was it? it? Seb? Yeah. It might have been Seb because they finished right next to each other. But his racecraft and his like wheel-to-wheel action is so damn good. Where he d- falls down is his like race management. like knowing when I need to save tires or whatever, or like strategically, like what I'm going to do. You know, I know he's going to get me with DRS here, so I'm going to let him in this specific spot so I can get him back. Like that's where his, his like higher level thinking falls down. I mean, in that case, he's the perfect max replacement. True. Well, no, I think the same way. (laughs) No, 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 no. He's great value max in terms of he brings us a certain entertainment. And unfortunately, to Todd's point as well, he doesn't have the maturity to just be boring. Like there is no equivalent to taking a knee for Yuki Sonoda. He's going to go after every lap like it's his last. That's what we love about him. But that might be his downfall to Todd's point. Because it's it it is like you have to. You have to have that like secondary animal brain going on while you're racing or your animal brain doing the racing and then your human brain thinking strategically, tire management, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's, he doesn't seem to have that. And quick point about Max's race since it just came up again, Max proved today that he can have like 
a totally boring and professional race without the, uh, you know, whining about like, oh, my tires are gone or he, you know, he crowded me or whatever, like which we said was he's incapable of. So anyway, that was kind of a tangent. But I think Yuki, the reason I said earlier that I think he's gone is because there's too much talent waiting in the wings. However, I did just think of this. What I heard or read last week is that Honda was supposed to be out as in all of their ties. I know that they're officially off the car and it's just the HRC corporation doing the workings there. But now it sounds like Honda's going to be involved through 2026 when the new engine rules come into play. So that actually kind of makes me walk back my earlier statement that you, if Yuki does keep his seat with this like super hot and cold performance that he's where he's, you know, in the points one race and he's 18th the next race, it's only because of this Honda association. So is there, I, I, 100% 100% acknowledge that because, you know, like you said, there's a lot of talent in the Red Bull. They've given a lot of wings away with those Red Bulls, I should say. Um, but but with Yuki, for instance, is there any situation, one, is there any situation you see him driving for another team on the grid outside? I mean, I guess you could throw in the potential new teams, right? Like there's... He, if he's if he's a top 10 driver on the grid it's pretty likely he would sign with let's say you know let's say Andretti or Porsche or Audi or whoever the next team that comes in that said is there any possibility that in the next 2 3 years we see Honda partnering with another team if the if if they expand the number of teams if they do expand the number of teams i think that's where yuki is going to thrive but he he is also one of those guys where we always talk about you have to win the race but sometimes you have to win the press conference right before the race so if i look at it from that perspective nick i'm a new team i'm announcing that one of my new drivers to usher in this new era of formula 1 is yuki sonoda what is that press release going to be? It's going to be one about the fact that he's brash, he's exciting, but he has a world of potential. And I don't see him driving out of that narrative in the next two to three years unless he discovers that self-preservation gene that Todd had alluded to. Because ultimately, that brash and exciting thing is what keeps us coming back for more. So what does he have to do to keep his seat at Red Bull? Todd, do you Finish. want to go? Yeah, yeah I'll... I think it's not not necessarily just about race results, right? Like he does need to have more consistency there where he's not, like I just said, P18 one race and then, you know, P10, P6 or P7, whatever the next, which I think this was his only good drive so far this year. I think the rest of them have been pretty bad. Hit or miss. Um, Mostly miss. Yeah, that's fair. But. The, to keep his seat, he needs to be on the pace in qualifying because that's, again, one of his shortcomings, I think, um, is his qualifying. And he's more than a couple of tenths off of Pierre consistently. He's like a half second, 
you know, even sometimes three quarters of a second, which if you're an equal quote unquote machinery, you shouldn't be that. Like we're talking about the 20 best supposedly drivers in the world. They should be, especially if you're in the same car, you should be within a 10th or two of your teammate, no matter what. Uh, if we're talking about like consistency levels, if he started, you know, being on the same pace as Pierre every race in qualifying and then, you know, just the race happens and he drops back or he has a couple of races where he does his own, you know, self-inflicted harm and he's, you know, finishing in P18, whatever it is. Um, that is one thing. But if he's off the pace in qualifying and uh, it's super hot and cold in the race, he's he's got no shot. And that's why I think he's if there's anybody that has like a pretty good chance of not having a seat next year, it's him. Nick, I'll try to give you a tangible number. He has to do one of two scenarios, and keep me honest if you guys think I'm bluffing. He either has to outscore Pierre Gasly, or he has to be the 10th best driver. I think those are the lines of demarcation. One scenario I could see, and like I said, I present this to you because you are my two wise men. You will let me know how full of shit I am at times. If we see Terry Botas continue to have the drive of the season like he is, and we work with the narrative that Formula One contracts aren't necessarily worth the paper that they're printed on. Could you see a situation where Valtteri moves? We have a Botas-sized hole in Alfa Romeo, and Alfa Romeo unintentionally or intentionally becomes the Formula One team of the entire Asian continent. Because then you have Guan and you have Yuki. And that's an exciting way to not only usher in that new era that we talk about, but then my 33 million turns into 33 billion because that's a huge ass continent. Not with the Ferrari ties. Yeah. Sorry. You don't think so? I know, I know you asked Nick that question, but. No, I'm sorry. With- I meant to ask. I said two wise men. I mean, that's kind of why I asked about the Honda thing, because if, if it's, you know, if it's nearly impossible for him to keep his seat at Red Bull, and regardless of like, I, I, I'm coming at this from a completely different perspective than every driver has to win, right? Because let's be honest, like 15 of these drivers are never going to win a race in their entire career. That's just how it works for the most part. But like, if he if he if he has no seat, is there some other place for him to land? I don't think that. I don't think anything changes at Alpha. I think Valtteri is going to... Valtteri might even squeeze out a win or two with Alpha before he retires. But in the next three years, four years, Alonso is probably going to retire. Vettel will likely retire. Lewis might retire or start his own team. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of shifting that's going to go on. and. Not to say that Yuki has to be connected with Honda, but like I say this, I know Aaron's going to listen to this and I say this so lovingly because like I am a diehard Honda fan. I own a handful of Honda cars and more Honda things than probably most people on the planet. But Honda has been terrible in the way that they jump in and out. They're non-committal approach to F1 has been the most frustrating thing as a fan of the brand, because look, the reason why Ferrari and Mercedes have these diehard fans is because win or lose, they were out there racing. 
and you can always count on a silver arrows car. You can always count on seeing the, you know, the, the Ferrari red, like those two teams are probably the longest running teams in the sport or, you know, over, over history at least. And like without, you know, McLaren's in there too, but like McLaren and Honda are, you know, have been connected in various times, but like with Honda now rumors of them potentially being again, wishy-washy towards the sport. I'm just thinking like the only way that, that if you, if you guys are right and Yuki loses his seat, which I'm coming at it from being a, a complete fanboy of Yuki. I would love to see him in the sport for the rest of his life. Cause I think he's just like entertaining as hell. Even when he loses, he's just entertaining, but without Honda committing to another team in some way, shape or form, I don't see him, you know, I just don't see it happening in, in, in almost in any other scenario other than whatever potential new teams might have, you know, come to fruition in the next couple of years, I guess that's, that's kind of my end, end point of all of that. I a hundred percent agree. If there's no Japanese tie to a team, I don't see Yuki staying. And that's why I say I think he is talented and he has potential. We've already waxed poetic about that. But without the Japanese brands or manufacturer tie into the sport, I don't see Yuki going anywhere else. So I know we're we're about up on time, but before we get off of that topic, the, the reason why I think that's an important topic to dive a little bit further into is because in our chat, from this race, uh, we talked a little bit about paid driver, paid seats, right? And essentially, you have Lance Stroll and Aston Martin and Nicholas Latifi at Williams are the two paid drivers, right? So they're essentially, you know, not to say that they don't have the skills because obviously both of them can drive at times with the best of these guys. But Just make the track wet. Lance is a genius. <laughs> Just make make the track wet. Exactly. Grower, not a shower. <laughs> but it's it's interesting right because we're sitting here talking about a guy that we would all love to see in the sport and yet we've got these two guys that if i'm being completely blunt about it i could care less if either of those guys are in the sport i actually like latifi more as a person personality even though he's very straightforward more than his driving and lance stroll is not someone that's entertaining to me at all, but you know, he brings sponsorship dollars. He brings the Aston Martin brand to the, to the sport in a sense. Right. And I just think that it's really interesting that you have these like two seats that probably are not, you know, I, I don't know that they're, if they deserve them or not, but it makes me wonder like if the FIA ever starts to look at that as the sport grows, because with Miami coming up and Vegas now in the books for 2023, there's going to be tons of money coming in. There's going to be a lot more money coming in to the sport than there ever has been. And the same thing could be said, you know, with, uh, you know, with Rowett's point, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of market that the market cap for formula one is exponentially bigger than what it is. And that sounds insane to say, considering, you know, more people watch formula one than most everything right now. But, it really makes me wonder what the hell is going to happen to to this because at some point to me it seems like those seats become that much more valuable to have someone that's capable and 
as much as it doesn't fit in the Red Bull slash Honda plan, top 10 or top 12 Formula One driver in the world deserves a seat, in my opinion. And maybe the FIA starts to think of these things differently as we get more expansion and more money dumped into the sport with all of the, you know, American audience and the growth on social media and, you know, just just the pure popularity of the sport that's come in the last four or five years. But if, if you think about it, there's, this is kind of a tangent again, but if you look at F2, there's so much diversity in F2, like nat, uh, nationality wise that they could replace Yuki with, you know, it, it, well, Yakuma Yakuma Sato, I think his name is. Sato. He's a Red Bull driver. Yep. In F two, Daruvala is um, he's Indian. Like I know that Daruvala. Like, he's yep. yeah. He's on the Red Bull Academy. So like, if they want these big fan bases, and they, you know, they could swap out at any time. So I I just don't. The one thing that Formula One has proved time and time again is that they only care about money. We just saw that in Jeddah while there was like rebel attacks going on a few miles away and they're like, yeah, no, we're good. We're, we'll just race. Um, they don't care about anything but money at the end of the day. So they, they're not going to be like, yeah, Oh, Yuki's marketable. Let's, let's, let's keep him. Even, even if he is, you know, dead midfield and 10th. I think the only way I could see this becoming an issue is if we set a magic number of five, if they're more than five pay drivers, and let's use this opportunity for our listeners to say, I guess our definition term of the week is pay driver, which is anybody that's paying to be a part of the Formula One racing system as opposed to being selected on natural talent and merit. Is that probably as concise of a definition as we want to go from a high level perspective? Yeah, just bringing sponsorship dollars to the team. For, in, for instance, uh, Guan Yu Zhou uh, brought Check in I mean, 20 million. That, yeah. Yeah. Tell seller. Okay. Guan Yu Zhou brought in 20 million of his own money to get that seat. Basically. Right. And I would say this, do we consider Checo Perez a pay driver? Because his initial, I guess, calling card was the fact that he was affiliated with a Mexican businessman by the name of Carlos Slim, who I believe is a soft drink magnet. And he's brought in a lot of money and he's essentially propped up Perez's career. Now, Perez has taken that next level and showcased that he's more than a pay driver. So I think he kind of gets waved away with that. My thought, though, is this going back to that magic number of five. If we have more than five pay drivers that seem to be products of nepotism, the way I could see Formula One having their cake and eating it, too, is setting a new division, calling it, let's say, Formula One and a half or two point five. And it's just going to be an entire division of nepotism drivers, because then you're getting the money that Formula One wants. And you're also allowing these guys to live fantasy camp for an entire year. That's a really interesting idea. I mean, I, I don't see that happening, but I, I think it's really interesting. And just to be clear to people that are fairly new to Formula One, Although these guys are paying, in a sense, or bringing enough sponsorships dollar, enough sponsorship dollar to justify the team signing them and saying, "Okay, cool, you can drive the car." These guys have to be incredibly capable of driving a race car. Like, I I have spent twenty years going to the racetrack, hanging out with people, working with people that drove cars, that raced cars regularly. Todd spent many years tracking his cars. There is no chance in hell that either of us in our networks and beyond know anyone that's capable of driving a Formula One car. Like that's how high up this skill set is. So even if you can pay your way into it, 
like the way that we're talking with with the drivers currently. The Canadian subdivision <laughs> of Formula One. Yeah. The the idea of a paid driver format is still going to be really difficult to get to, but definitely not off, you know, definitely not off the table in terms of a, let's say, just shot in the dark possibility, because a lot of racing has these types of programs. You can go buy a race car from Porsche and go to the racetrack and get your license and start racing. You might suck, but you can you can do all those things and there's not really anything that's stopping you from it other than money. But in Formula One, it would be really, really difficult. And the reason that is too outside of the money and the skill set is because they're way more dangerous than almost every car on the planet because you're going to be able to go 200 plus miles an hour at any given moment. Yep. Okay. You guys want to... Oh, actually, we didn't do reviews and we still need to cover fantasy. So let's wrap up with those two things. All right. I'll speed through the review. By the way, I wanted to say this. Carnage is probably one of those most punny words you can have on a Formula One podcast. So I think it was Todd that said it earlier. It made me giggle. So thank you, Todd, for giving me that moment of levity. And we'll go ahead and do the review. So thank you, Jason Silva. Three Formula One Muses is the title of his review. Love the show, and by no means am I leaving this review to spark some sort of Red Bull success story. Lewis for president. There aren't many solid American-based Formula One podcasts out there, so it's nice to hear an in-depth conversation in my own native tongue. For real, though, the show offers a candid yet informative product, and I appreciate the unique perspective each of you bring. Just wish it was a bit more frequent. I'll continue to occupy myself with Damon the Pinks in the interim. Curious to know what each of you, what's your favorite thing about Formula One? Also, please work into your next conversation as often as possible the phrase, these pretzels are making me thirsty. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Jason Silva. You know what? We had called out a thirst for more reviews, so it was partially quenched today because Jason Silva wrote that brilliant review. And like pretzels... I am still thirsty for more reviews, so please, readers, if you continue to write reviews like that one and include phrases that are as silly as these pretzels are making me thirsty, I will continue to pigeonhole, just get them into this show hook or by crook. But guys, let's ask, or rather, let's answer the question that Jason posed of us. What's your favorite thing about Formula One? Go ahead, Todd. Uh, this is so cliche sounding, but the like the racing itself like i'm really excited it's been a long time probably the last time i can remember kind of this close of racing is like 2012 ish and it still wasn't even that close but like the level of wheel to wheel battling that we've had this season so far has been epic from that proportion i know that we've had a like we had a processional ish race in Australia and Nick feels like this one or actually both of you feel like this one had its moments of being processional. Um, but I feel like even if it is processional, we have this car instead of a car being stuck two seconds back, he's stuck a half second back mm-hmm. for lap, 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 lap after lap. So the racing itself and then I guess secondarily, the, the like the the nerd stuff in in me i really try my best to understand all the technical side of it and really dig into that side because like the amount of development that goes into like just one little titanium screw is mind-blowing so those are the things for me 
Uh, Nicholas Latifi Angwa. For me, it's it's. I mean, I, I all forms of racing, but Formula One is the highest level of it. I think it is absolutely asinine that companies pay people to go drive around a racetrack in like the most loving, endearing, fascinating. Like it is just mind blowing that somebody's like, what you're going to put my sticker on your car for $20 million. Like that to me is so fascinating. So like the business side of a formula one is really interesting to me. I mean, I love the racing. I first got into formula one kind of off and on as a kid and as a teenager. And then when Honda actually, you know, like Mugen and Honda in the early days, like I have pieces off of cars, like as a teenager, young adult, where I like started to hunt down like race used equipment, you know? So, I mean, it, it started as a love of cars and Honda specifically, because I just have always driven them and my parents drove them when I was a kid and all of that. But now as a, as an adult, like I'm just fascinated by the business side of it in the sense that it's just a giant marketing machine. You know, it's, it's much different than more, more traditional American sports like basketball, right? Where, okay, great. Basketball is, is amazing, but like you don't, you don't see like a giant, you know, I don't know, Patronus logo on LeBron's chest. You see Lakers, you know, and formula one is, is like, it's just wild to me. Like, it's just wild that there's so many companies that are like, Oh, you have, you have six inches. Where's it at on the car? Oh yeah. We can, how many, you know, like the conversations that have to be had, I'd just love to be in the room to hear like, yeah, well, you're going to be on TV probably 400 times over the course of the season and practice and, you know, qualifying. And like people are going to pay millions of dollars to have their sticker on a tiny little square on the back of the, the wing of a car. Like, bravo, bravo. Whoever, whoever came up with this idea, I love you for it. Awesome. Todd, Fantasy Corner. Wait, Rowan, oh, you how didn't about answer. You? Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah okay. you didn't answer. I'll make it try to make a brief because I know that's not necessarily the best skill I have. But as somebody that learned English through the twin pillars of the Simpsons and professional wrestling, I love a good personality and I love a good character. And I know I sound like a broken record, but Drive to Survive finally painted that picture for me that, hey, this sport that has at times for me been a barrier because of how scientific and how engineering heavy it is, finally gave me a little bit of an insight to say I can glom onto that because to Nick's point, I'm a fan of American sports. I'm a fan of global sports. But the thing I think that keeps me back to my favorite sports is the personalities that define it. And Formula One has just done a phenomenal job broadcasting those personalities. And then the other thing, and this is a bit indulgent and it's a bit brown nosy, but I am Indian and my nose tends to be brown. I just like learning new things. And I've got two really good teachers here and Todd and Nick. So these guys keep me humored and they keep me entertained by just being the best teachers I could have on the sport. And I learned something new every episode. So this episode, I learned that the beacon of consistency that is Honda gets uprooted because of their inconsistency in flirting with Formula One. So thank you guys for that. Nice. All right. Yeah. Quick fantasy update to wrap it up. Um, we'll start with the league that must not name must not be mentioned. The Nikita um, Mazepan Invitational. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll call it Mr. Weatherman um, League. Uh, well, shout out to Trav. He's in the lead. 
uh, of that by pretty large margin with Aaron in second, Julie in third. Um, but that one's that one's going pretty good. And Nick, you're not in last in in that league, so st- strong midfield driver in that league. Um, Which also the, means I'm in danger of losing my seat next season. <laughs> Don't sound Yuki. so heartbroken. Nick, not Yuki. Your self-preservation skills are lacking. Let's figure this out, buddy. No, Nick is. He's he's a very kamikaze fantasy driver, I must say. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so in the Discord F1 official uh Fantasy League, um, I just want to shout out myself because I had the best week. Um, it's nice to get, you know, even a retarded squirrel get a nut uh, on occasion. And I had a good week. Um, God, overall, I will say it's not as good. Uh, Nicholas C is still in first place with 880 points. Uh, Iron Trev, shout out Mr. Canada is in second with 839 and Aaron again uh, at the top of the top of the pyramid there uh, with 831 and Ro and Nick <laughs> neither of you were in last hey we'll take that you know what yeah. those squirrels that you were alluding to we were blind and we will say that they're blind squirrels and that's what okay. Nick and I are and we found our proverbial nut. Now it's just a game of making sure we don't lose it to the elements like Scrat and Ice Age. Yep. And then last and most importantly, uh, the ex- Exhaust Notes podcast fantasy draft. Um, pretty good week. Uh, this was staggeringly close, as we talked about earlier. Um, I had the 51 on the week. Uh, Nick had 52, Rohit had 51, and Aaron had 53. So the season totals are um, coming up in the rear. Uh, Rohit with 190, Nick with 191, myself with two z- 201, and Aaron again uh, with 214. It's almost like he knows what he's talking about. He does. It's Except funny. for being a Max fan. Now, I was going to say, the most knowledgeable of us is the one that's not on the podcast. Yeah, okay. well, we'll get it. We'll get him on again. We'll get him back yes. on again, definitely. Also, for those of you that have been listening to the fantasy draft episode, I think it's episode eleven. There's a lot of people that have been listening to that over the past few weeks. Uh, if you if you are not familiar with what we did for the fantasy draft, it's a great episode. We had a blast with it. Aaron, who we talk about on the episode a lot, who has been on a couple of episodes with us, was on there, and we chose kind of a different way to do fantasy Formula One in a way that made everything a little bit more important. So we care about who finishes 18th, just as much as we care about who finishes 12th or 6th or 4th or 5th or 1st, whatever. Now, we basically put the American snake style spin on it, where every driver gets drafted, every position gets a point, and yeah, it comes down to who can score the most points at the end of the season. Definitely. No subs on this one. Yep. Got who we got. All right. Two weeks. We got Miami coming. What's your predictions, folks? Uh, I'm going to go with Danny Rick is going to wear what is what like a nice floral Tommy Bahama shirt and come out with like smoking a Cuban. Oh, for the race, you mean? Uh, I'll go. 
Now I'll go with, I think Charles Leclerc. I'm putting faith in his credibility as a champ, uh, champion challenger this year. So I'll go Leclerc one, Max two, mm, Carlos three. Carlos, come on, can't be two, three races now with no points. Let's get back in the points, bud. Nick, what do you got? Uh, I think I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go Leclerc. God, I want to see signs on the podium, but I just I don't think it's happening. I'm gonna go Leclerc, Verstappen, and Norris again. Go give Lando the the nod. I'm gonna I'm gonna also go out on a limb and say I think that with two weeks off, Mercedes actually makes some improvements on the car, and I think we see Lewis. Much higher up, maybe not in the podium, but like top a, ten. A, yeah, a top ten, like a five or a six is what I'm thinking. Okay. Wow, that might be the hottest take of all. Um, the I it is interesting, and that's something we didn't talk about on this podcast. But a lot of teams that were planning to bring upgrades to this race because of the two week break did not because it was a sprint weekend, and you only had one one practice to check out those developments. So they. Decided to forego that. So I do think we're going to be see a big development step. That being said, I think we have Max P1. I think that's where Red Bull starts to show that they are serious. Uh, we're going to have Leclerc P2. And I'm going to go wild here. Botas. Ooh. Terry Botas P3. This is one of the podiums that I need for him to... I'm, he's gonna. I don't know if he's going to finish there. He's going to qualify there at least. We're gonna the see Georgia it. Peach from Helsinki himself, Terry Bodass. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, I can't. I can't wait for the race. It's gonna be entertaining to say the least. I don't know if the race is gonna be great, but hey, I like new tracks. I like seeing new new people and new fans. So I'm I'm here for it. Guys, you got you want to let everybody know how they can find you outside of the podcast. You can find me on Instagram at rowatm13. You can find me on Twitter at rowheasy. And now I pass it off to my partner in blue for the next half of the run. Uh, yep. Let's say you could find me on Twitter at tyeezyf1, on Instagram at uh, tyeezy, and most importantly, you can find me in the Sneaker History Discord, which is linked in the podcast notes. Uh, come join us. Come join the conversation. We share a lot of memes and, you know, hatred for max just kidding aaron we love you <laughs> yeah and uh, a lot of conversation on race weekends throughout the weekend too if you want to you know like there's a there's a lot of good answers to questions and a lot of good questions that i don't think any of us predicted before we started this whole podcast journey but you can find me at nick engvall on all the platforms more importantly follow at exhaust notes fm on all your favorite social platforms uh only place i don't really post regularly or haven't posted yet is TikTok, but I'll get there eventually. But uh, we appreciate all of you rocking with us. It's been awesome. We love having these conversations with each other and love having the feedback. So if the best way to do that is either in the reviews on Apple or hop into the Discord and leave us some questions, tell us what we could do better, what we could maybe just keep repeating if it's really that great. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Write us a review with silly phrases. Mm-hmm.